This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 80 of the On The Banks Podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you enjoy what we do with the On The Banks podcast, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us just by searching On The Banks. As we get ready for the return of Rutgers sports, make sure to check out OnTheBanks.com for all your Rutgers news, opinions, and information on every game and everything happening during the week. So with the return of Rutgers football, I am excited to bring back our weekly game preview. Today, we preview week one when Rutgers takes on Michigan State this Saturday at noon in East Lansing. Joining me to talk about Rutgers on our week one preview is NJ.com's James Cratch, and joining me to discuss Michigan State is Matt Wenzel of MLive.com. This game is one that features both schools having new head coaches, new eras for Rutgers and Michigan State, and a game that kicks off for both schools what will be a different season to say the least. But even with this odd year, I, and I'm sure a lot of fellow fans, haven't been this excited for Rutgers football in a long time. It'll be a rebuild for sure, but Coach Shiano is back, and his task of rebuilding this program on the field begins Saturday. Frankly, I think we're even lucky just to have Rutgers football, so let's just enjoy it and enjoy the process. We're all excited to once again see the chop, and I know we're all excited to watch Coach do his magic. But again, as I said, it's a process. So let's sit back, watch, and enjoy as Rutgers football begins its journey towards the top of the Big Ten and begins its journey back towards national prominence. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. Ahead of Game 1 on Saturday when Rutgers and Michigan State face off, I am pleased to be joined on the podcast by NJ.com's James Cratch. Cratch, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on as always. Anytime, Lance. Glad to be back. So, Cratch, I want to start with this new era under Greg Schiano, right? The Schiano era part two. Uh, you know, the expectations, right? I'm not asking for your record predictions yet. We'll get to that later. But what should be realistic expectations just for this season overall? Obviously, fan excitement is high. Fans are expecting at least long-term a turnaround. But what do you think, what do you think fans can reasonably expect here in year number one? You know, I think one... I think it's it's a reasonable exp- expectation. Ask win a, win a, win a game, you know. And look, it's not going to be easy because you know the, the pre-pandemic schedule. So you looked at Syracuse. We've seen Syracuse really struggle in ACC play. You had Monmouth. You had Temple. Greg probably would have had a chance to potentially start three and zero, and this place would really be kind of excited and rocking and rolling. And whatever happened in Big Ten play would kind of be cushioned by the fact that they had won a couple games early on. You know, now when you're playing a Big Ten-only schedule, and yes, you, you, you've got some win- manageable games on the schedule, Maryland, Illinois, it's a physical gauntlet. And it's you know this is a team that hasn't won a Big, game, a Big Ten game in two seasons. So I think step one is you have to win a game, end that long Big Ten losing streak. And beyond that, though, just, just be more competitive in these games. I mean, look, no one... Is expecting Greg to suddenly take Ohio State into the fourth quarter, or if, you know, to take Penn State into the fourth quarter. But if you're going to play at Michigan State, a Maryland, and Illinois, at Purdue. You know, be competitive in those games. Hang around. You know, you know, show some you know kind of fight and make those games not as lopsided, as ugly as they have been 
in recent seasons. And the third thing for me is no matter what happens, you got to keep that 2021 recruiting class together. You know, keep it strong, keep it up there, you know, top 30, top 40 in the country. And then once you do that, I think you can kind of pivot, look forward to next year, which we all hope will be normal, and maybe things will kind of get going for them at that point. And look, obviously we've had a condensed offseason schedule and fewer preseason practices. And look, all coaches need to adjust to get their team ready for opening weeks, not just Rutgers. It's every, you know, Big Ten school. It's obviously a lot more difficult when you're building a new culture now with a new staff, which, you know, Rutgers to a part is. What is your assessment on team readiness for Rutgers? You know, is that something that worries you for Shiano and the staff about, you know, getting this team, you know, physically and schematically prepared after obviously a much shorter time of preparation? You know, I'm not as worried about that as I think some fans are because, you know, taking aside that, you know, the kind of two weeks where they had to shut down uh, due to the COVID-19 outbreak, this, is a, this team has been on campus since mid-June. Now, I know they haven't been necessarily practicing in full or wearing pads or hitting, but they've been lifting weights. They've been training. They've been conditioning. They've, you know, even going back to March, they've been, you know, virtuals, you know, film room, over Zoom and meetings. I do think that people might be surprised at how uh, physically ready these teams are to play in the Big Ten. Now, look, I don't know if the games are going to be you know, masterpieces. I think we're going to, we've seen a lot of sloppy football across the country so far. I think we're going to see a lot of sloppy Big Ten football. But I don't necessarily worry about the readiness of the program as much as what's the talent they have. And I think the bigger issue is this coaching staff doesn't really necessarily know a whole lot about the team. And it might take them a couple of weeks to kind of get their, their footing down and say, okay, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. The issue there is you don't want to have things kind of spiral before you get to that point. I want to start now offensively. Look, a new offense once again, you know, another year, another new coordinator, and hopefully Sean Gleason is the one who sticks multiple seasons. Look, last year at Oklahoma State, he had a 2,000-yard passer, a 2,000-yard rusher, and they were really able to spread it around in the passing game. Looking at Gleason's offense at Oklahoma State, what really sticks to you about how it's run and what Rutgers fans can expect to see from it this coming year? Well, I think the biggest thing, and Shiano has talked about this, is you know, Sean Gleason is a guy who adapts to the personnel he has. You know, obviously, he's at Oklahoma State, and you know, Mike Gundy obviously has a big hand in their scheme. But you know, Oklahoma State has been a, a program that's traditionally kind of chucked the ball around. But obviously, he gets there. You got Chuba Howard, Hubbard, excuse me, uh, Chuba Hubbard, one of the best running backs in the, in the country, and they they feed him the rock. You know, and he's kind of a borderline Heisman candidate by the end of the year. You know, I think you what you look at what Gleason did at Princeton. You know, some years they would be you know run heavy. Other years they would have a better quarterback player. They'd be pass heavy. He's kind of done both. And you know, I, the one thing I will say about Gleason's time at Princeton, I think a lot of people go, "Oh, look what he did at Princeton." Princeton has really good football players for that level. You know, they they have recruited extremely well in recent years. So I think you also have to kind of throw in the fact that it might be a little bit of a learning curve for, you know, for this Rutgers offense, and it might be a little slower than fans were hoping, just because I don't know if the talent Gleason has here is as good as a level comparable as he obviously had at Oklahoma State and also Princeton. And look, both teams in this game, Rutgers and Michigan State, are in similar positions when it comes to quarterbacks. Look, for Rutgers, 
Shiano has the choice of five guys, but really the three main competitors are Art Sitkowski, Noah Vedral, and Johnny Langan. What's your real thoughts on just the quarterback position overall for Rutgers? Do you think we will see all three possibly in game one and throughout the season, really? And who do you think starts game one on Saturday? Yeah, so, I mean, you said three. It's really gets out of three. I look at it as two. You know, I, I think Johnny Langan is a guy who really represented Rutgers extremely you know, well last year, kind of valiant in so many games tough, rugged kid, but I think you clearly saw, you know, in his eight games last year as a starting quarterback, there's a clear ceiling for him, and I, and I just think that it's a ceiling that Art, you know, as Art improves, he, he, he pushes past. I definitely think Vedril does, just because, in a way, Vedril is kind of has all the skills that Johnny Langan has. He, he just is, it has better skills in those departments. I would expect Vedril to, to be the starter. I, I just think that when you look at the offense Sean Gleason wants to run, you know, he said he wants to be up-tempo, you know, high speed, snapping the ball every 15 seconds. And then when you also look at the, the personnel Rutgers has, they don't have a great offensive line. They've got major question marks at the receiving positions. They've got a great running back in Isaiah Pacheco. They've got a really good set of backs behind him in Aaron Young and K-Rod Adams. They've got Vedral, who can move a little bit in the pocket, who can make throws, but can make things happen with his legs. I just think that if you read the tea leaves, it all points toward Vedral, who has that experience in that kind of high-octane high, high offense, with being with Scott Frost in Nebraska and UCF. That being said, the way I – my big takeaway when Greg Shannon talked about the quarterbacks uh, this past week, uh, he said a lot of words, didn't really say a whole lot in those words, but my takeaway was – Whoever is the starting quarterback is going to have a very short leash. I, I don't think this is a guy who's going to basically get a Supreme Court appointment before the Michigan State game. So I expect you're going to see two quarterbacks, maybe even three. The guy I'm really intrigued about is, given you know the, the NCAA blanket waiver, if you if you were high on Evan Simon, and I believe they are, you know I think Simon was one of the better quarterback recruits that, that Ash and John McNulty, the prior regime, had committed. Rutgers obviously made an effort to hold on to him, bring him in, and roll him early. Maybe he's a guy who, since it's a free year for him and for everyone, you throw him out there a little bit and, and see what he can do. And yeah, of course, you mentioned Shiano's short leash, and we saw that back in his first tenure here. Uh, I know fans most notably remember, obviously, Chase Dodd coming in, be it for, for Tom Savage specifically. Um, we had that interchanging uh, quite often. Now, one position group that's not uncertain is the running back position. You mentioned that. Obviously, Isaiah Pacheco returns. He'll be relied on again to lead that group alongside Aaron Young and Karon Adams. In your mind, what do you think Pacheco's involvement should be? Obviously, it'll be heavy, but do you think 20, 25, 30 touches a game for him? You know, how many touches, how many times should Isaiah Pacheco have the ball in his hands? Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I know with Raheem Blackshear the past years, you know, before he went to redshirt, they were kind of looking for like 20 touches a game. I think Pacheco is probably, you know, 20 to 25. I think the, the key thing with Pacheco, which I'm also looking for, is does he kind of emerge as a guy who catches passes out of the backfield? You know, if, if it's just going to be, you know, he's going to run the ball for the most part, I think you're probably going to see 15 to 20 a game. And then maybe Aaron, Hen excuse me, uh, Aaron Young kind of takes up that position where, you know, he catches the ball more out of the backfield. You, you do it, he's kind of that slot receiver slash, you know, swing back at, out of the backfield. So I would say 20 to 25. I think Pacheco's a guy who can really carry the load, but they've got to be careful they don't get him too beat up, you know, especially behind an offensive line. I think it's going to have its struggles. 
So look, defensively, that unit's kind of sort of been rebuilt, right? New pieces have been added mainly on the defensive line and, you know, a couple in the secondary. When you look at that unit overall, what about it are your main concerns and what about it sticks out to you as really the strength of it? That's a great question. I would say the strengths are, are is the linebacking core. I mean, I think you bring back Tyreek Max Williams, you bring back Tyshawn Fogg, you bring back 03, you've got Drew Singleton, you've added some talent there. I think that's maybe the, the, the in terms of Big Ten caliber, that's the position group on the defense. I I look at and say, okay, they have Big Ten football players there. You know, secondary, you, you like Avery Young. You know, you, you feel good about bringing Brendan White in from Ohio State, Christian Isian, Trey Avery. You don't have any depth really behind the starters at safety and cornerback. You're probably going to end up playing some freshmen, some inexperienced guys in, in backup roles. And if, God forbid, you have an injury, you're really up against it. So that, I think, is a weakness. My big yeah, – look, the defensive line is much improved, and getting Ellen Luber back is a, is a shot in the arm for them. Although my big question, and Greg Shiano really didn't answer this the other day, is how ready is Ellen Luber to play football? You know, what's the kind of timeline been? It's been – it was such a secret, such a surprise revelation. You know, has he been with the program for a couple of weeks now? Did he just get approval? Stuff like that. So, you know, I'm the kind of trying to say, hey, is he a guy who could start in week one, or is he maybe going to have to ramp up because he just got back? But my thing is, you know, you brought in this huge amount of defensive linemen. A lot of these recruits, maybe the exception of Aaron Lewis, the, the kid from Williamstown that signed with Michigan and, and decided to transfer to Rutgers. They, those guys are probably a year or two away. The, guy, the veterans you brought in, Malik Barrow, Ireland Burke, Michael Dwumfor, what can those, you know, Mayan Ahanatu, get, one, who's eligible who, to play this year, who got a transfer waiver, but two, what can those guys give you up front? Can they be productive? These are guys that have had injury issues or were you know, productive backups at their previous schools. Can they step into the role, be starters, and really produce and give you a push up front? So as we sit really about a week out from game time, are there players that are kind of flying under the radar that you think can make a big impact? Look, we know about Melton, we know about Pacheco, and of course the leaders defensively, which you mentioned previously. Is there anyone that you think can have a big impact that fi- that fans might not expect this season? You know, a name that, that fans really aren't focusing on as we get closer and closer to game number one. Yeah, so the one guy I will go back to, and I, and I keep going back to the first day of training camp last year, uh, Stanley King just looked the part. Like he just looked like a man amongst boys, lining up with the wide receivers. T- clearly, the tallest guy in the group. You know, just had like he kind of reminded me of like Kenny Britt. Uh, he didn't play at all last year. I'm really intrigued to see him and, and those other young guys in that position. You know, a, a group that's really underachieved in recent seasons hasn't had maybe the best you know kind of technical coaching. You bring in Taekwon Underwood, like. I'm just intrigued to see, like, how does he kind of get that group going. I know a lot of people are excited about him and the work he's done with that group. So Stanley King's the guy who obviously, if you're, if you're buying a lottery ticket on this Rutgers team, you know, who's going to be kind of that breakout player? I would, I would, you know, venture, hey, buy one on Stanley King. I'm really intrigued to see if he can kind of grow, grow into looking, you know, playing like the guy he looked like in that, in that camp practice. Cracked a couple more from me. How much weight do you put on this season's overall record? Look, obviously a short year, and there are a lot of curveballs that can possibly come with this season. But when fans watch games and at the end look at the record, whatever it is, how much should that record matter? And also, I guess, what do you think that record will be? You know, I, as long as there's a one, at least a one in, in the front of the record, I think you're fine. 
you know, you just ha- I am adamant you have to win a football game this year to keep the momentum going. I think if you are one and eight, uh, you know, assuming they actually get all these nine of these games played, you're good. You can move forward. You know, it is a crazy year. It's it's a it's a transition year. So much has happened. You know, most important thing is obviously keeping the team healthy. But if you can get a win, I think you're good. If you go zero and nine. Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel the same way as a full board normal 0 and 12 would feel, but I still think it's going to be difficult, especially since you're playing all Big Ten games this year. Uh, as for what I think the record is going to be, well, right when the schedule came out, I picked two and seven. Um, I'll stick with that. You know, I, I picked the big week one. You know, upset at Michigan State. I I do think that's a matchup where if there's going to be a little bit of Shiano magic in year one, maybe that's where it is. Two programs with a new head coach. Michigan State struggled the last few years. I know. I think the score was like twenty-seven nothing last year, but you never really felt terribly impressed by Michigan State. And you know, you always figured, hey, if Rutgers had a functioning offense, this would probably be a competitive football game. Same thing in twenty eighteen, when I think it was ten seven or fourteen ten in East Lansing, and fourteen ten, I believe it was. So it's just that's I think as a matchup they can win. I think Maryland. Near the end of the season is a potential game they can win just because, you know, Maryland, I don't know if they're 48-7 to better than Rutgers. They are better than Rutgers, but I think that the coaching gap is going to be significantly weighted toward Rutgers at that point. I don't think that Maryland team is terribly well coached. I think that's a game that Rutgers should win. Maybe one or two along the way, you know, Illinois, Purdue, if you, you know, if there's some injuries involved. But I just think that you got to get a win got to be competitive in some of these games and you just kind of move forward to next year keep that recruiting class together and kind of look for the world to get back to normal and you can kind of really start to try to make your move but i'll stick with two and seven i could see one and eight i could see three and six somehow the biggest key for them is you can't have oh and nine or oh and whatever and look, the last one for me, and you really just answered it, game one prediction, you know, Rutgers heading to East Lansing to take on the Spartans. I think you just said it. You think Rutgers is coming out with a victory? Yes, I, I will stick with my pick from a couple weeks ago. I, I think Rutgers finds a way to, in some crazy game to upset, you know, Michigan State. And, you know, hey, if, as, I, as I just said, if there's going to be something, you know, special this year, I think, you know, given the recruiting heat between the programs, the, the, the element of surprise, week one, you never know what to expect. That's kind of a moment where Rutgers can maybe make something happen this year. He covers Rutgers Athletics for NJ.com, James Cratch. Cratch, as always, thank you so much for coming on, giving me some time. And, of course, most importantly, you know, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and be well. You too, Lance. Thank you. He covers Michigan State football for MLive.com and joins me now to break down the Spartans ahead of Game 1 on Saturday when Rutgers and Michigan State face off. I am excited to welcome to the podcast Matt Wenzel. Matt, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. So I want to start with this new era at Michigan State. 13 seasons under Mark D'Antonio. He's out. Mel Tucker comes over from Colorado. What has Tucker's philosophy been since taking over in East Lansing? How is he trying to mold this team that's either similar to or different from how D'Antonio ran it, you know, for over a decade? Um, I think it's a kind of a mixture of, you know, he he, he knows what, what Mark accomplished, obviously, in his, in his time at Michigan State, which, you know, when, when he took over, if you thought would be possible, uh, the success he had. But, you know, he's also stressed, which any coach would do, that, you know, this is, you know, He's stressed changing the culture and, you know, building things in a different image. And that's just, I think that's pretty typical for any head coach, especially, you know, uh, you know, 
a guy who's only, this is only going to be his second season as a head coach. So, you know, he's still relatively new in that, in that regards, but you know, Mel's a very experienced coach, you know, and he knows what, he knows what the foundation of the program is. You know, he began um, his coaching career as a grad assistant at Michigan state under Nick Saban. He knows the deal he's lancing. And, and so I think that helps him connect to kind of the heart of the program a little bit uh, on its own. So, um, yeah, and that, you know, obviously, you know, the offseason was just a disaster. You know, he, you know, he, he, you start with a late coaching change in February, which is not ideal, obviously. Um, and then he loses all of spring practice, uh, which I know Rutgers was in a similar situation, you know, with, with the new head coach as well. So obviously a fitting week one matchup. But, you know, Mel loses all of spring practice. Um, you know, they come back to camp uh, or campus after being sent home for three months. And, and they come back in June. Uh, start workouts, and then in, in like mid to late July, whenever that was, uh, right when the uh, the summer schedule was ramping up to include uh, more hours, they had a positive COVID test, and they had to shut everything down for two weeks. And then, you know, you start fall camp on the 7th, and the Big Ten pulls the plug on the 11th. And you just, you know, they didn't have a padded practice until September 30th. That was their first padded practice since December. And it's just... I mean, it obviously hasn't been an easy off season in that respect, um, but you know, other teams have had similar situations. So, uh, challenging off season to say the least. But uh, I, I don't know what else he could have done to uh, to make it any better. Out of his control, a lot of stuff. And like you mentioned, two new head coaches, obviously for Rutgers, a a semi new, I guess, head coach with Greg Schiano, obviously coming back. And look, here in New Jersey. Most fans wanted Greg Schiano to return, and, and most are very excited to watch him on the sidelines once, once again. What's been the overall vibe in East Lansing surrounding Tucker? You know, how is he being perceived by the media and fans since he got the job? Uh, pretty positively. You know, I mean, I think, you know, Mark, Mark D'Antonio was obviously well-respected by, by the fan base, you know, for what he accomplished in East Lansing. But, you know, the end, we, we have... The 36-5 and five run from, from 13 to 15 is, you know, that's a while ago. You know, and you have the 3-9 and nine season in 16, and, the and, you know, they bounced back in 17 and 7-6 seven, last couple of years. So I think, you know, everybody knew change was inevitable, and, and Mel's a younger guy. You know, he does, like I said, have the, the connection to the history of the program and Nick Saban, and, you know, he was there when, when Mark was there. So there's that connection, and I think fans have, were excited with the hire. You know, there was the initial Luke Fickle buzz, but... Um, Mel's been pretty good about, you know, connecting with the fan base as far as social media. I mean, obviously with the COVID situation, there's the, the in-person stuff has been, uh, you know, put on the, on the shelf, but, you know, he's tried to engage with the fan base, um, get get himself out there. And I think people are, I think the fan base is generally excited about the future. Although, uh, expectations I think are very, uh, very toned down for this season, just given the situation and the roster. Look, obviously, you know, with a condensed off-season schedule and fewer preseason practices, which you mentioned earlier, all coaches need to adjust to get their team ready for opening week in, you know, a little bit over a week. It's obviously a lot more difficult when you're building a new culture with a new staff as opposed to, you know, having been there before. What is your assessment on team readiness for the Spartans? Is that something that worries you for Michigan State? And has Tucker or the staff, I guess, said anything about, you know, being physically and schematically prepared after obviously a much shorter time of preparation? Yeah, yeah, that's something we've talked about. And, you know, both Mel and his assistants have pointed to the fact that when Mel was in, in he was an NFL 
coach during lockout the lockout year. And remember what year that is now it's not my head. But anyways, you know, he he had a set plan in place, like if this is when it ends and we have this many weeks to prepare, this is this plan. And if it's this many weeks, this is this plan. So they had all these plans in place and then when they finally got the green light, he said it was just a matter of, all right, there's our plan and now we go go with it. Now you know, obviously, there are just things you're not going to be able to get to. So, you know, the things that you you would have done if you had a full spring uh, with the new staff, if you if you had the um, the full fall camp and all of that, they just they obviously they're just not going to get to it. So there are th- certain things they will not be able to install. Um, and then physically, you know, I think that was a concern. Um, I think when they came back um, initially for fall camp, you know, they they were at, I, I mean, just you're not going to be in the same shape. It's just that's the bottom line. But um, from what he said, you know, that he feels comfortable with how they've transitioned. They had a plan in place for, for ramping guys up and getting them physically ready. They've had two scrimmages now um, the last couple weekends. And, yeah, I mean, I, again, it's a situation where a lot of teams are – well, the rest of the Big Ten is basically in the same position other than, you know, there were some teams that started spring practice and got sun in before everything got shut down. But the rest of it has been, you know, dictated by the conference. Look, both teams, Rutgers and Michigan State, are in similar positions when it comes to quarterbacks. There has yet to be a starter for both teams, or at least a starter named for both teams. Rocky Lombardi, who I think is the favorite for the Spartans, has the most experience, and then there's Theo Day and Peyton Thorne as well. What's your take on the quarterback competition between the three? Who do you think will ultimately start on Saturday, and do you think it's even possible that we might see all three? (laughs) Um, I would I mean, I've that I think Rocky will be the starter just because I think his experience, you know, he, he was 2-1 and one as a starter in 18 when Brian Lewerke was, was injured. His play last season was not great, but the situations he was put in were, were he, he wasn't given much of an opportunity. You know, it would be a game when Michigan State was already down by two or three. Somebody just pinned them at the three-yard line in the third or fourth quarter, and they send Rocky in, and it's like, all right, well, that's not much of a fair look. So, I mean, I think, I think a lot of fans, you know, what you want to see is whatever the unknown is always the, mo- the most popular thing. So Theo Day has only attempted three passes at Michigan State. Uh, Peyton Thorne hasn't played in the game, so it's always the guys that you haven't seen that are, uh, get the most uh, um, and have the most appeal, I guess you'd say. Um, but I think Rocky starts to start the year. Um, the, you know, the shortened off season didn't obviously help them get a better look at the other quarterbacks, but I wouldn't. I would not be surprised at all to see multiple quarterbacks play week one, uh, especially like they said, they they at least indicated that the competition was close. Um, so if that really is the case with the new offense, a new staff, I think they're going to want to see what these guys have, especially because, you know, you got younger guys and you don't really know what you got until you put them in a game. So I think Rocky starts. I think at least one of those other guys plays and it's not out of realm of possibility to see all three. Um, but I guess it all depends on how comfortable, obviously, they feel with with Rocky and in the situation overall. Look, what's not uncertain for the Spartans are the running backs. Elijah Collins returns, having rushed for, I think, just under 1,000 yards last year, and I assume he'll be relied on again to lead that group. What makes Collins such a weapon, and why should Rutgers fans be worried about him whenever he has the ball in his hands on Saturday? Uh, You know, he really, he was impressive last year um, in spurts, um, but he showed, you know, they had Michigan State's running back situation had been a little complicated you know lj scott with the injuries and connor hayward um um 
was the basically became the guy in 18 and then and then Elijah took over last year I think you know he's just got that quickness um the, his ability to cut um stands out from the rest of the guys you know he's not a he's not the fastest guy but I mean he's just a little combination of everything um makes him their best back that we've seen maybe um they've got some younger guys too but uh you know he is he is definitely he's just their best running back in everything that he can do and now you look at the guys that are change of pace backs or something like that brandon wright is you know 240 pound guy uh hayward's back and he's you know he's a solid guy and he's a he's a pass catching back um great hands anthony williams is uh you know the guy you can get out in space and got uh two new true freshmen too so um you'll see plenty of Collins get his touches but you know their their running backs coach uh, William Peegler talked about playing three to four guys a game he thought that was possible I don't know how you can really get Collins as many carries as he deserves and still use that many guys but we'll see defensively look Michigan State returns its two leading tacklers Antoine Simmons and, and Xavier Henderson on the flip side they lose Kenny Wilkes and Joe Bocci, what's your overall prognosis of this defense with their two leading tacklers returning, but then losing two guys who combined for, you know, 14 sacks last year? Yeah, the defensive line's, uh, you know, it's he lose three three-year starters, including an All-American, and that's, uh, that's an issue. But um, Jacob Panasuk returns as the top end. Uh, Naquan Jones and, and Jacob Slade are the, were the backup tackles last year. They're going to – they should definitely step right in, and, and they'll be solid. Um Beasley will probably be your, your top uh, other or your other starting end, but I think you're gonna just naturally you're gonna see some drop off in the in the defensive line. A linebacker Antoine Simmons returns as you know arguably your top defender. He's gonna be good. It's just a matter of where they play him because he can line up in multiple spots. Uh, same with Noah Harvey. You need to find a third starting linebacker, which will probably be Chase Klein. Uh, and then the back end uh, safety Xavier Henderson returns at, at the after his first year starting the strong side spot, and I think he's. He came on late last season, looked better down the stretch. Uh, I think he's poised to be, you know, even better this year. And then Shakur Brown's your top cornerback, but he lose Josiah Scott early to the NFL draft, and you don't really—it's a little unclear who they're going to be able to pair with, with, uh, with Shakur Brown because there are a lot of options, um, including Julian Barnett, who was a, a top 60 recruit um, coming out of high school and played uh, solely at wide receiver last year as a true freshman. And I got some other guys that are, you know, sophomore Richard sophomores and so on but uh the defense you know you lose seven starters it's i think there's going to be a drop off i think what i'm really curious to see is what they look like on, with the new coordinator and scotty hazelton um there's so much defensive coordinator experience well, you know mel tucker obviously a defensive coordinator in college in the nfl scotty hazelton mike trestle who was their defensive coordinator the last two seasons is coaching safeties harlan barnett who used to be the the co-defensive coordinator with trestle at msu before being a coordinator at Florida State the last two years is back. Ross Ells, their linebackers coach, was the D coordinator. And you get all that experience and all those ideas, and I just I just would be interested to see what they look like scheme-wise, um, the differences from, from last year in the D'Antonio era when they were primarily just a 4-3, you know, with some wrinkles here and there. But um, the scheme and, and how they play is, is really interesting, and then how they fill those spots. Because um, there are a lot of, there are going to be a lot of guys that are relying on for to play either be to either be starters or play significant snaps as, as backups that really just don't have much experience. Matt, a couple more from me. What would you say is the biggest weakness for this Michigan State team? You know, heading into game one, what's the big? What's the area that I guess they are the most susceptible um, in for you know opposing teams to target? Well, who's the quarterback? So <laughs> until you until you know who, until you know 
you have a quarterback that can run your offense and it isn't a liability, especially with turning over the football, then that's gonna that'll always be the biggest question. Because if you don't have a, if you can't have success there, you're not gonna win. Uh, other than that, I just, what what is is the offensive line finally gonna turn it around and finally stay healthy? Um, I mean, you remember those the 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 Mark Antonio legendary teams, you know, the 2015 Big Ten championship team that had that 22 play drive or whatever against Iowa just grinding the ball out because they could they have not been able to do that um, in recent years and you know, the last two years the offensive line has just been a mess of injuries they started at nine different starting lineups in, in 2018 and seven last year um, but you bring back uh, well Jordan Reed is opting out there with their starting right tackle but uh, if you take him out of the mix they still have nine offensive lineman has started at least one game last year coming back and you get a, this mixture of these veterans um and they played three true started the three true freshmen last year um and you have a new offensive line coach in chris kapilovic who is pretty well regarded in his profession and I, I just think the potential is there for for that to be the position group that shows the most growth um but it also has been one of the biggest problems for them because if they can't they haven't been able to consistently get a push and run the football on their terms and you know that was kind of the way they they were structured. So uh, if if the offensive line uh, doesn't get it together, uh, that's another problem. But and then defensively, um, you know I think they'll be okay on the defensive line. But it's it's a pass rush getting after the quarterback because when you lose Willikus, your your best pass rusher, if you can't generate pressure, you know I mean you're just giving them more time to throw, obviously. And then you have at the back end you you lost your your two most experienced members of the secondary. So that could be an issue. Matt, last one for me. Game one, Rutgers heads to East Lansing to take on the Spartans. Who do you think wins and ultimately starts the year 1-0? Uh, you know, I'll take Michigan State just because, I mean, I mean like both both programs are in a similar position with, with, with new head coaches, obviously, we talked about in no spring practice. So it is trial by fire, kind of. I just think Michigan State has more talent on their roster at this point in time. I'm not – this isn't like some of those games in the past where Rutgers was – you know, I was thinking that, you know, they come in and, you know, beat them by four touchdowns or whatever. Although <laughs> Michigan State really hasn't been in that position the last couple of years either. But uh, I think they'll win. I don't think it's a blowout by any means. I think it's a, you know, a fairly close game in Michigan State. I, I already predicted a score. I can't even remember what it was. Something like 24 to 14 or something. Either way, I think it's a game into the second half and Michigan State just has a little more than they do. You can follow him on Twitter at mwenzel2, covering the Spartans for MLive.com. Matt, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course, as always, you know, be safe uh, and be healthy. You too. Thank you. I want to thank James Cratch and Matt Wenzel for joining me on the podcast to discuss Rutgers and Michigan State. Look, full disclosure, I recorded with Cratch this past Thursday and Matt the day after on Friday, and a lot has happened since, specifically with RU. The two deep has been released so we know who, at least for week one, will have a big chunk of the playing time. Look, this Rutgers team is certainly not perfect. There are places to get better and places that are clearly their strength. But one thing that was not announced by Coach Ciano yet, as of Monday, at least at noon here, is who will be playing quarterback. We know it's down to Art or Noah Vidral, but who will be taking that first snap is still to be determined. What the two deep showed me, however, is that Coach Ciano is going to give the young players time to develop. On the two deep, every starting spot is filled by either a junior or a senior. Look, sure, you have sophomores and even some freshmen sprinkled in as the backups, such as Max Melton at corner and a few on the offensive line. 
But this team is one led by experience at really every position. And frankly, in a season with a condensed offseason training and practice schedule, it is important to have those upperclassmen lead the way. You know, it's crazy to think that after all the ups and downs of this offseason, we're finally really only a few days away from Rutgers football. Will it be an odd year? Look, of course it will be. Does this think that we can't go to SHI Stadium on Saturdays and tailgate and, and watch coaches return? Of course. But now we don't have to watch SEC, ACC, or Big 12 games every Saturday. We can sit on our couches each weekend and watch Rutgers football. We're still living through a crazy time, but watching Rutgers every fall Saturday just brings a sense of normalcy. So let's enjoy it. Rutgers football is back. Cochiano is back. And I'm confident Winning Ways will be back very, very soon here on The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.